Hey guys, this is our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you found us. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about following Jesus, loving God, and serving one another. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com or check out the Clemson Foothills Church YouTube channel. We love learning what God says to us in His Word, and we hope this podcast helps you to do that as well. With all that said, let's dive into the episode for this week. I'm going to take the uh, higher podium here because of my vision. It's, the notes will be much closer to my eyeballs. How's everybody doing? I know it looked like uh, I was uh, awkwardly standing off to the side, but Keith gave me this big thing to put in my back pocket, and it was not going to be a, a wise thing for me to sit down on it. So <laughs> I have the power pack on me. That, that's exactly right. I'm very excited to share with you tonight uh, some of my study on uh, the subject of giving. And everyone's like, great, great, we're talking about giving tonight. Um, Why? Why in the world are we talking about giving tonight? You know, I think that's the thing is that sometimes when we talk about particular subjects, we automatically have some filters that go quickly into place. Some suppositions like, why are we talking about this? Or things like, oh, I know what he's gonna talk about. And you follow what I'm saying. And I'm hoping tonight that I will totally dispel that. And I hope I'll be successful in doing so. And uh, I'm really grateful for your prayer, uh, Keith, because uh, I definitely need the Holy Spirit um, working with me tonight. So, you know, when we, we take a look at this, we start having a, some questions that perhaps pop into our mind, like with giving, is, is there some rule that I need to follow? You know, is there some specific amount that I'm supposed to give? Is, is giving really just money? Is that what we're really talking about? You know, is there some minimum that I can or should give? Uh, is my salvation tied to whether I give or not? I mean, we can go into a lot of places, but what I'm hoping tonight is that we realize that perhaps those are not even the questions to be considering, okay? So if you'll turn to Philippians 2, we'll start off there. Because there's a context I think that we need to jump into right away. And we're going to read this passage, verses 1 through 11, Philippians 2. And while you're turning there, I want to say hello to everyone who's watching tonight, virtually. I hope uh, you guys are doing well. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, 
but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That just sends chills when you read this, and it is so challenging. (laughs) So challenging. Let's look at another brief verse. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So, the question I think that we really need to focus on is what is the proper response to God when it comes to giving? When you look in the context of just these two scriptures, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. And that's why I don't think those other questions I was talking about earlier are really the right ones to be considering. Now, we're going to take a look at some scriptures in just a second. We're going to go through them. And I want us to put on the hat of being detectives. Okay? And I want you to examine evidence and make a determination of what the motivations are and what's happening, okay? So let's look at some things through that lens. Let's look at Romans 12, verse 1. And we are going to be looking at a lot of word, uh, God's word. And I think it's very self-explanatory in much of it. And then we'll talk about some practicals. In Romans 12, 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You know, when I I read this verse, I think, what is the proper response? You know, to God's coming down in human form, emptying himself from being in heaven to the limits of this body, to the frailties of this body. I think of himself giving everything, including the life in this form, to take away my sin. And then I ask myself, what is the proper response? And I think this scripture here says, you ought to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Everything. Everything's on the table. 
What are the limits of offering yourself as a living sacrifice? You know, when you owe a debt that you can never repay and your debt's canceled, what's your response? When you're a captive and you're set free, when you can set yourself free, what's your response? When you have someone lay down their life for you in exchange for your life, what is your response? The question of how much how often becomes irrelevant. Right. Yep. Let's look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. <clears throat> 1 John 3, 16 through 18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and he sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. Very challenging, isn't it? Let's look at some of those examples and put that detective hat on, okay? These are real disciples. We've looked at principles so far. We've been looking at exhortation. Let's look at scripture examples put into practice, okay? So in Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, let's look at what this actually looks like in practice, okay? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So if you have your detective hats on, and you're looking for clues, what's the motivation? What's the motivation? I think the clues are in here, and I'm not going to answer that question for you. I think what you have to do is look at these scriptures and go, why were they behaving this way? Why were they doing what they were doing? And what was the outcome of what they were doing? That's very important. So we're going to take a walk through Acts. And when you think about it, that's the movement of the Holy Spirit through the early church. Let's look at what's going on in Acts. Let's go to Acts 4, verses 32 through 37. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart 
and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. You go, wow. What is the motivation? Why would someone do this? Why? Would you ever sell your stuff? I think one of the things that really struck me when I looked at this particular verse, and I just will call this out as you ponder this, is that we sell something, we want somebody to recognize it. Our motivation may be, look at this. Look what I gave up. Look what I've done. And what it says is they come and they put it here. Here, let me give this to you. I see that position of putting it down here. You do something with this. You take care of what needs to be taken care of. I don't know what the need is. Just here's my money. You do something with it. This is challenging. What are the rules here? What's the minimum? Where's the guidelines? You know, I'll call attention to, but we won't spend time to it. In Acts 6, verses 1 through 7, take a note of it. What you'll see in there is the distribution of food to all the widows that were there at that time. And they had problems. Not everybody was getting the food. These are people that couldn't support themselves. And the church was taking care of them. And so they appointed men to have a daily distribution of bread for those who had this need. Incredible. Incredible. Turn to Acts 9. In Acts 9, verses 36 through 43, we see an incredible story. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas 
made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her life. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. You go, well, why'd you read this? Let's look for some evidence. We have a disciple named Tabitha who did many acts of good works and charity. I want you to think. She died and the reaction of the disciples were, Let's go get Peter. She's dead. Yeah. Let's hurry. Let's go get Peter. She's dead. Let's go get Peter. They went and got Peter. And they showed her, showed him. Look, can you imagine a group crying? Look what she did for us. Look at what she means to us. Look at... Look at what she made for us. Imagine a group of people doing that. And I look at it and I go, who's going to run off and get Peter for me? For what I've done. That, that's amazing to me. This was their first thought. This is what they wanted to convince Peter. You can do something. Bring her back. We need her. She's had such a big impact on the other disciples. That's amazing. Think of the giving. Think of the heart. This is an awesome example. Yeah, Yeah, sure is. Let's turn to Acts 11. It's an amazing journey through Acts, isn't it? Acts 11, verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined... Uh, everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Wow! The first reaction. So there's going to be a famine? Let's collect money. Let's send it to Jerusalem. Not only did they determine Let's do that. But what does it say? And then they did so. (laughs) You know, sometimes we go, oh, let's collect some money. Let's do that. We have these great intentions, right? But then it says, and then they did so. And they did it. Now, we'll come back to this because this is actually written about a lot by Paul in the scripture. Talking about the behind the scenes of then they did this which is a whole process of intentionality that we'll get into. 
So look at the hearts. What's the motivation? Why would you, if you're in Clemson, send money to another part of the world to people you've never seen before, you'll probably never meet, and give away your stuff? Why would you do that? <laughs> Turn to Acts 20. In Acts 20, we'll begin in verse 32. What we have is Paul talking to the Ephesian elders. <clears throat> and he says in Acts 20, verses 32 through 35, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So here's Paul saying, here's my example of how I lived with you and among you, how I did my ministry. What is the evidence? What is he sharing with us? I worked. I made a living. I worked hard. Not only did I make my own living, I supported others. And he says, by working hard, we should help the weak. And remember what Jesus said, it is better to give than to receive. Amazing. Okay, one more scripture. And then we're going to change our course from detective work to another, another thing. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 7. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Amen. You see, excelling in the grace of giving is our subject tonight. Excelling in the grace of giving. 
What's interesting here is you have poor people giving. You know, we think the poor people need to be given too. And that's true. But here's an example of our brothers in Macedonia and our sisters in Macedonia giving out of their poverty and begging to give. Please, we want to do this. We want to help those people that are in Jerusalem, where Jesus was from. Please let us help. We want to do this. We're going to give. Why? Why would you do that? I'm poor. I got no money. Think that through. You see, there is an intentionality to giving. What do I mean by that? You have to think about it. You have to make some decisions. And you will come to a reason why you're doing it. To do it in a manner that pleases God, it has to be done with humility and with love. You know, there's even a warning in 1 Corinthians 13, 3. Paul says, if I give away all I have and I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. He warns us, you know, if you're doing it for wrong motivation, you're doing it for nothing. It's a waste. So, yeah, motivation is important. One of the things I really want to talk about with intentionality is you need to be a worker. Yes. You need to get a job to be able to give. You need to earn an income. You need to earn money to take care of yourself and to do it in such a way that you're able to take care of others. That needs to be the heart of it. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to meet the needs. In fact, there's a command for you to work. And if you haven't found that in the scriptures, I can point you in the direction. I can definitely do that in just a second because I'm going to come back around to it. But you need to work hard. You need to be able to take care of your family. That is another responsibility that is given by God. If you have a family member who is in need, you need to be able to help. And so there's intentionality behind that because you need to think about it, pray about it, and then set aside money. How you spend your money determines how you're able to give. If you spend all the money that you have on what you want, you'll have nothing left to give. That is a disciple decision. If you are not thinking about giving, you'll spend all your money on yourself. Does that jive with all the examples that we we read? It doesn't. So you have to think about the people that are around you. What are the needs? Who has a need? How can I meet that need? And I'm not just talking about money. Sometimes, yeah, you got to be the guy that helps load the (laughs) U-Haul. 
Sometimes you need to make a meal. Sometimes someone needs clothes. What is the need? Sometimes someone's lonely. Sometimes someone needs encouragement. What's the need? How can I meet it? That's giving. You have to be intentional about it. You have to be looking for the opportunity. Your fellowship does have a purpose. Other than talking about football, though I do love to do that in the fellowship at times. (laughs) So to give, you're going to deny yourself. You are. It's going to be your time. It's going to be your money. It's going to be your resources. It's going to be your sleep. Where's the limits? How much? You have to think it through. So, here's a problem. You can't be generous. You can't give if you have competing priorities. You know, if you don't have a budget (laughs) and you spend all you have, there's nothing left to give. If you go out and you buy a car and your payment's $600 a month and then you got insurance and you're making $2,000 a month, you're having some problems already. But we do that kind of stuff. And we are not thinking about, I need to live a lifestyle that I can take care of myself and my needs and help with the needs of others. So let's talk about that. How do you do that? Well, if you don't know how to make a budget, get with someone who does. Let them help you make a budget so that you know how to live within your means. If you're not making enough money, maybe you need a better job. Maybe sometimes in life you need another job on top of that job. What? Yeah, I did that my own self, and I'll give you some examples here because I've had to wrestle with this and be a disciple for a long time. So one of the examples would be, I had gotten myself, I'd been irresponsible of handling money, and I was trying to get us into a situation where I was being responsible again. And so I took a part-time job. I didn't miss church. I was at church on Wednesdays, I was at church on Sundays, but I worked my full-time job, and then I went to work after my full-time job. And I worked until that closed, and I did that until I got myself in better shape. And then I quit, (laughs) very quickly. (laughs) So there was a purpose to these things. Sometimes you have to do what you gotta do. Don't discourage someone from working hard to take care of themselves. Don't show pity for that. That is an honorable thing. It is honorable to work hard and to meet your needs. It's not honorable to not work hard, be irresponsible, and then take other people's money as a disciple. Let's be real. I'm saying it. So here's the thing. How do you decide? Let's talk about tithing. We just went through what's the rules. 
all right? <laughs> What's the rules? I don't know. But let me tell you what I did in my approach. In the Old Testament, it talked about 10%. We're not bound by that. We're not. So what is your attitude? My attitude was, that's the starting place. 10% of my gross income was my starting place. That was the minimum I wanted to give. And then go from there. And I look at 10% of my gross income, not what I'm taking home. Because on paper, I have a gross income, believe it or not. So over the years, as I've worked on this, if I get a bonus, I figure out what's 10% of that. And I give that as well. And I make those decisions every time I get a raise. What is it? And then I up it. Does that make sense? So I'm just telling you how I arrive at how I think. Okay? Is that what I'm telling you to do? No. I'm telling you how I have to think through things yeah. to be intentional. Yeah. Now, Roxanne and I have been disciples for a long time. I remember back early in our marriage, we were one of three married couples in between us at that time we made $15,000. That was our gross income, <laughs> which is frightening. But um, we lived in married housing at the University of Georgia and we had a special contribution. And this was to meet the needs for us to be able to have a place to meet and keep our minister. And so we thought about it and we actually went out, and I know this sounds insane, we went out and took out a 90-day note for what we could afford and could pay back. Yeah, I took out a loan to give and then paid that back. That's crazy, isn't it? But that's where you're coming from when <laughs> you're looking at what the needs are and what you can do and you make an evaluation. I want to urge you to make these considerations of why would you limit yourself? Amen. Why would you limit your thinking? I remember a special contribution in Atlanta later, many years later, well, not too many, but later, I had a stereo. I loved that stereo. It was a Kenwood stereo. I'd spent money on it when I was a teenager. I'd saved up for it. And you know how important music is. This was before your phone and your MP3 and all that stuff. So to have a stereo and a, a turntable was really a big deal. Okay. Maybe. It was something. <clears throat> I had no money. So I sold it. What are you willing to do? Other times I had no money, it was a, a car wash. I washed cars as a grown man to be able to give money. What are you willing to do? I'm just giving you some examples here. It's not about me. I'm just saying these are real decisions to make. And it isn't about us. There are many examples where if your heart is there, then God blesses your heart with opportunity. I've seen that. I remember another special contribution. We had no money. You see a theme here. 
<laughs> we had no money. We, we prayed about it and we were begging God, whatever money that you give us, we will give. And you go, well, that's a pretty safe prayer. <laughs> You're not going to have anything to give. No, it was crazy. I had worked for uh, General Electric and at year, this was years after I'd left. They sent me a check from the pension fund 401k. I don't remember what it was. I'm like, what in the world is this? I didn't even know they owed me any money. It came right before the special contribution. Many times stuff like that has happened because your heart is there. God will go, okay, all right. I'll test you on that. <laughs> you get the check, you're like, whoa, okay. I wasn't expecting that. Anyway, so here's a thought. And the scripture talks about this. Giving is real proof that our love and discipleship is genuine. And you go, well, Steve, where'd you come up with that? Paul says it. He says it in 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> All right. I sure hope I didn't leave that at home. Probably did, it looks like. All right, so let's uh, open our scriptures. I had everything else printed out, and we'll wrap this up. In 2 Corinthians, this is why I have my, my backup right here. In 2 Corinthians 9, in verse 6, he says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. 
So in wrapping this up, when you look at this, what God is saying is, hey, if you give more, he's going to enrich you and give you more. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, when you give, he will increase your capacity to give. Think about that. If you have the heart to give, you will be given more to give. And that you will be enriched for your giving in the sense of you will be taken care of. Your needs are going to be met. But you will be able to give more again. And then what he's saying here is when you give to someone, what it does is it glorifies God. Because someone takes note of your confession, of your obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you do this because of Jesus. That why you give is because of Jesus. And they glorify God that you're motivated and you're living that life that way. It's powerful. So imagine I take care of my brother, my sister, and they see my heart and they are encouraged and go, praise God. And I'm doing it because I love Jesus. And I say, praise God, do you let me do this? How exciting is that? I've seen this happen. When you give money for a special contribution and someone on the other end of the world sends back a letter and said, we praised God for you that you gave this money. We don't even know your people. Thank them for giving this money. And you're like, the praise is multiplied. It's amazing. So, detectives, I ask you, what is the end result here? We give to glorify God. 